Hello and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Hustlers podcast. I'm your host, Madeline Carafa. If you're new here, welcome. The Healthy Hustlers is a series of healthy conversations with influential hustlers, where together we chat health mindset and motherhood. Featuring easy to digest conversations with some of the most successful and influential people in our country, including the likes of Kayla Itzines, Megan Gale, Elise Knowles, Sarah's Day, Nick Fanning, and many more, this podcast is sure to give you a boost of healthy enthusiasm to fuel your health and well-being goals. With over 150 episodes for you to enjoy, through storytelling, my aim is to offer you a fresh perspective and inspiring insights that will empower you to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life. Today's Mama Chat is proudly brought to you by Bubba Bump. If there was one thing I learned the hard way after becoming a mum for the first time was how important it is to nurture yourself during the early stages of the postpartum journey. First time around, I put such a huge emphasis on my pregnancy journey, but then completely neglected my body and health once bub arrived. I promised myself I would never let that happen second time around. So this pregnancy, I've had a huge focus on preparing myself for the postpartum journey, a time to nurture both mum and baby. I was thrilled to stumble across Bubba Bump on Instagram, a gorgeous family business providing a one-stop shop for not only baby essentials, but also mother's postpartum care needs. Bubba Bump are known and loved for supporting and nurturing both mother and baby with their gorgeous organic baby wrap carriers, organic baby lounges, and baby essentials, while still having a beautiful focus on the postpartum care for mothers. Bubba Bump's labour prep and postpartum recovery kits aim to help ease the unexpected pain and discomfort that follows on from having a baby. They're available in vaginal and C-section options with the aim of catering to and nurturing all mothers. I personally love the idea of the kits as it takes the stress and pressure away from knowing what you'll need post-birth. You can check out Bubba Bump's full range of baby essentials and mother's postpartum care by visiting bubbabumpbaby.com.au or simply clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. In this episode, I'm joined by Melbourne paediatrician and father of three, Dr. Golly. Specialising in unsettled babies and baby sleep, Dr. Golly has created his own online program that aims to empower parents by allowing them to trust their instincts while giving them the tools they need to understand baby cues, baby sleep, feeding and unsettledness a whole lot better. Dr. Golly has been referred to by many parents as the baby whisperer, but he likes to think of it as the parent whisperer, as his role is really about empowering parents, and that's exactly why his work resonated so well with me as a mum of two. Constantly reminding us that whatever works for you and your baby is the best outcome. There's no strict rules, just loads of guidance and expert advice that will help families thrive. Dr. Golly has worked with highly trained experts who are at the top of their field to build a program that is realistic, knowing that there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to babies. I know there are so many mamas on my, in my IG community who love Dr. Golly's work, and especially his winding te- technique, which I personally use consistently when burping my baby boy Rocco. It's been a game changer. Today we chat about unsettled babies, baby cues, routines, eczema and more. Here's Dr. Golly. 
Thank you for joining me once again. This is take probably three on our end <laughs> between between baby issues happening and me having to reschedule you and internet issues. We've finally got there. So I'm so grateful for your patience um, and for your time. Um, but I'm really excited to chat to you today because you have been a big part of my mum journey in round two, my, my second take at being a mum. As I'm sure most listeners will know if they follow me on Instagram, we've had a lot of issues with yeah, um, Rocco being my second born being quite unsettled. And as a mum of a second, I knew right from the start that there was something not quite right. Um, and when I put something on Instagram, my inbox flooded with you need to follow Dr. Golly, you need to do Dr. Golly's project uh, program. And, you know, as a mum whose first baby was thriving, I actually hadn't heard much about your work. So you have been incredible. Your resources, your work, the information you've given me has been so helpful. So I'm very thrilled to share a lot of that wisdom with my audience today. Um, but I guess let's start with hearing a little bit about you and the work that you do do. Well, that's exactly why we wanted to launch this program. I, you know, there is this doctor's dilemma where um, you can only reach one person at a time in your consulting room and people would say to me all the time, you've got to put this information out there. You, you have to understand how um, far the reach can be. And we've been blown away. I mean, doctors are not very present on social media and I had mm. no presence at all. I wasn't on Instagram until a few months ago. And, um, and it's yes. blown my mind, you know, people who are using the program and, and sending feedback from across the globe, from Germany and, and Japan. It's, it's, it's really, really wonderful when, when these things are used um, in such a positive way. I love that. It's amazing. And you honestly are helping so many people. Like, like I said, my inbox was just like overloaded with Dr. Golly, Dr. Golly. And, <laughs> and now that I'm so aware of your work, everything's like, and people, you know, I've, I've posted stuff about the different um, things that are helping from your program. And people are just like, yeah, baby whisperer. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this man is amazing. I need to get him on the show. Um, but I guess for anyone who is unsure or doesn't necessarily know what an unsettled baby is compared to your kind of happy thriving baby like I said at the start I you know was very blessed to have that insight of or you know that period and um, of time with a really happy thriving baby who was sleeping and feeding so when it got to my second I was very aware that it wasn't normal but I feel like as a as a new parent it could be such an unsettling thing to potentially not know what the signs are and what you're looking like. So I guess what are the main signs and how would you describe an unsettled baby? That's a really, really good point to make is, is that what I consider to be an unsettled baby, you may consider to be a perfectly settled baby. Um, so I'll give you an example. Someone came to my room this morning, um, a new patient, and they came because of a, a completely unrelated issue that had to do with the skin. But... Um, by the by, I happened to ask them whether or not their baby was unsettled. And they said, no, we've got an absolute angel, completely settled, never cries, no problem at all. And then I mm -hmm. followed up with, well, how often do you feed? And the answer was every two hours, day and night. Mm -hmm. And this was a two-month-old baby. Now, that baby, if you, as I asked the question, are they unsettled? Do they cry? The answer is no. But that baby is feeding far more often than they need to. Yeah. And so it's, all, it's always in the eye of the beholder. And, and as you said with your first, um, you had a very settled baby, but you also had no other baby, no other toddler to deal with. And so 
As mm. you get to your second, potentially even third or more babies, your time, you are spread thin. And so it's um, even more important as you add babies to the mix that we have um, as settled a baby as possible. In answer to your question, what is a settled baby? Well, there's lots of variation, but an example would be a six-week-old baby who, is, who weighs five kilograms and above. That's a baby, and, and obviously in the absence of any medical problems that are causing that baby to wake frequently or be unsettled, I would expect that baby to be, to be feeding every four hours roughly during the day and then sleeping mm -hmm. for a nice long stretch of seven hours overnight. And at four months, five months, I'd be expecting all the way through the night from seven to seven. So if your baby's mm -hmm. not doing that, and if you want them to, then there are things that we can do. The other really important piece of this puzzle is that if you're happy, don't change a thing. Yeah, I love that. I think that's why your work and your philosophy resonated so much with me is because it was very much about what was right for the parent rather than, you know, and you can give the tools to help if it's not quite right. So for me as a first time mum, Georgia was that baby that you spoke about first. She would feed she would go to sleep by five weeks. She was sleeping through the night, not literally not waking for a feed um, from five weeks. So, and obviously as a first time mum, that was so blissful, but I also know that that's possible. And so when it came to Rocco and he was that baby that was feeding every two hours, he was very unsettled after feeds, really, really upset, but he ne wasn't necessarily a crying baby during the day, which was so weird because if you Google Colicula, it's like baby cries all the time. And I'm like, well, my baby doesn't cry all the time, but he's just not overly happy after a feed. And that's you know? where you really have so, to trust your gut. So if you, you yes. know as a parent, as a mother, as a father, regardless of whether you have experience as a parent or as a, an auntie or uncle, if you know, if you feel in your gut that that child is not settled or that something is, is wrong, then you need to raise that because um, parent, mm. mums especially and dads, they're just never wrong when it comes to that, that gut feel. It's so true. I know I actually even had a mum message me after I was sharing a bit of like Rocco being really unsettled and she said to me, I'm a new mum but I'm pretty sure my baby's really unsettled like and explained about like getting hiccups all the mm. time and crying after feeds and she's like, you know, my the nurse, like whoever she was seeing at the time, I don't want to label people too much, but who she was speaking to at the time was telling her that that was normal and I just said to her, look, I'm not an expert, I'm not a professional, but from my personal experience as a mum, that's not normal. Um, and, you know, this is what I would personally mum to mum recommend doing. But like I said, I'm not an expert. So, you, but just trust your gut, you know, like if you don't feel like it's right, then it's probably not. And, that, and I love that you empower parents exactly to trust right. that. That's exactly right. I, I was frustrated by the misinformation that exists out there. There is just so much rubbish mm. um, and there are so yeah. many um, parents out there who feel that this is just a rite of passage that you have to go through that babies are unsettled and you can almost write off the first few months of life as this sort of hell that you have to get through in order to to find sleep again and it just doesn't have to be yes. that way a four month sleep regression mm -hmm. another one I can't stand that term because it just <laughs> it doesn't need to happen 
And I don't know why it it perpetuates if people feel like, well, if I went through it, you have to go through it as well. Um, There's also a lot of generational um, conversation that happens where the older generation tell our generation, um, well, you know, we never had sleep consultants and we got through it and my baby slept through the night and you're not patting them hard enough and (laughs) all of this. We we have to remember firstly that um, although they may be well-intentioned, that grandparents have short memories in terms of what it was like when (laughs) we were, when we were young, 30, 40 years ago. Um, but also, it's a different. It's a different time, you know. Even absolutely, even, you know, a fundamental difference is SIDS. So, we because of SIDS knowledge, we sleep babies on their back, and as a result, we've dramatically reduced the incidence of sudden infant death, which is wonderful. But babies are less settled when they lie on their back, and so we have problems mm. that the older generation never had to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. It's yeah, I won't tell you the <laughs> the things my nun used to tell me when I first had Georgia. My goodness, my head used to nearly explode with the things that she would tell me to do. I think, oh my goodness, nan, I could never do that to my <laughs> child. But it is that generation, exactly what you said, you know, and information being passed down, and yeah, it's it's definitely a overwhelming time for parents, you know, and naturally all we want is sleep. Everyone wants sleep, you know, no one's a good person when they're not getting it. So I think, um, you know, that can be overwhelming in itself is just that like that amount of information that we are given from different people, different ages of ages of people. And it's, I know I always say personally, it's really about whatever works for your family. So if having a sleep consultant or sleep training works for you, then that's all that matters. Like, you know, it's so long as you're doing what's best for your family at any given time is all you should be focusing on. That's right. And, you know, people often use that term um, to me and they call me the, uh, the baby whisperer. And I, um, I immediately uh, call them up on it because I am not a baby whisperer. I would rather you refer to me as a parent whisperer because, like you said, every baby's different. Oh, and, that's so nice. That's so true. And what the parent wants is the key. You know, you've got different cultures. You've got different backgrounds. Yeah. You've got your own temperament, which you're bringing to the equation. You might really want that baby settled because you're trying to protect the sleep of an older child or you've got a, mm-hmm. you might have a, a partner who works night shift and has to sleep during that. Every single family is different and unique and you can't um, pigeonhole a baby. So I don't try to do mm. that and I don't have militant, you know, routines. That's not how I work. I just want you as the parent to know this is what a baby is capable of. This is what that sign means. This is how you interpret that cue. It's all, Mm. I know I I use the word a lot and at the risk of it sounding cliche, it is all about empowering the parents. Once you know exactly Mm -hmm. what your baby needs at any time, then it's entirely up to you what you want to achieve. Here is what's possible. Here is how you can achieve it if you want. And if you don't want, all power to you. Yeah, and it's exactly why your work and your philosophy has resonated so much with me as a mum compared to other, you know, programs and and guides and schedules and stuff that are out there. Um, I found it interesting, though, that you mentioned the four-month sleep regression because I had a guest on the show the other day who's a new mum and her and I were laughing about how we're both at the stage with our babies that everyone around us is talking about this four-month sleep regression and everyone that has a baby the same age on social media is talking about the four-month regression and she was saying 
the funniest part for her was that the baby's sleep was already so bad that it could only get better. And I was like, it's so funny because I've been laughing about that for weeks thinking, oh, Rocco is about to come up to four months. And like, I wouldn't even know if he had a regression because his sleep <laughs> hadn't been good. But I remember with Georgia, I never bought into that sort of stuff. I never bought into that lingo. I just was like, you know what? She's just a baby. And like, we'll just get through each stage as they come. So I really liked that you touched on that because I do think that there's a lot of things that we do potentially buy into when we don't necessarily have to believe that it's going to or not going to happen. Yeah, I also, I'm not a fan of overarching rules. So, um, you know, when people say, oh, it's the four-month sleep regression, it's this overarching rule, parents feel and, and mums feel when they hear that, that it's a necessity, it's a rite of passage, you can't do anything about it, just you know, strap in because it's going to be a wild ride. Yeah. It's absolutely not true. And it, I, th- I, th- you know, I think it's lazy when people give this advice. Yeah. When, when, when I hear people, um, whomever they may be, saying, oh, yeah, it's the sleep regression, it's going to happen, or don't worry, just you know, suck it up, it gets better. I think it's lazy because it's not looking for the mm. reason why that child's sleep has deteriorated. And if you don't look for the reason, you'll never find a solution. Mm, I love that. I know that something you talk about in your program is routines. And funnily enough with Georgia, I never did routines too early, probably just because I didn't have to. But now I've got a toddler and a newborn and routine is absolutely key. I guess when it does come to babies, when should we or can we be implementing a routine and how can it really help babies to thrive? I don't um, have any particular routine under three weeks of age. I like to get, I use the word rhythm because that's, you know, once you once you have established if you are breastfeeding, once you've established that or if you're bottle feeding, mix feeding, whatever it may be, I like to get into a rhythm where you have discrete periods of feeding, discrete periods of play, and then discrete periods of sleep. What you don't want is to have clustering, clustering of feeds or clustering of, you know, long mm-hmm. wake time or or um, sleep that's broken and you're constantly trying to resettle. It just becomes a little bit of a, of a disorganized mess. So I don't have a strict yeah. routine at an early stage. I like to begin by getting into a nice rhythm where you've got gaps mm-hmm. between feeds once once yes. feeding is established and then mm-hmm. my first um i guess for want of a better term um significant routine would really start around that three-week mark and then at the six-week point i have this target of being able to sleep through the night um, now mm-hmm. that's not six weeks for every single child because it obviously depends on the gestation and it depends on the weight, it depends on the milk supply, the adequacy of supply. So there are a lot of factors at play, but I use that as a general um, target to say if your child isn't meeting this and you want them to, why don't you look at these few things? And these are things we can target, these are things we can potentially fix, and that may be what has been holding Mm -hmm. your bub back from being able to have those long sleeps overnight. We'll be right back after this healthy break. Today's Mama Chat is proudly brought to you by Bubba Bump, a gorgeous family business providing a one-stop shop for not only baby essentials, but also mother's postpartum care needs. Bubba Bump are known and loved for supporting and nurturing both mothers and babies with their gorgeous organic baby wrap carriers, organic baby lounges and essentials, while still having a beautiful focus on the postpartum care for mothers. 
Yes. And I'm glad you touch on that because I think sometimes we, well, I know definitely as a mum, there's sometimes things that we can overlook or forget about. So because I had this first baby that was sleeping from five weeks when Rocco wasn't sleeping from five weeks, I was like, oh, why is he not doing this? But, you know, he ended up having allergies. He has eczema. There was all these other factors that were coming into play that were, and he was taking in, he's taking in a lot of air when he feeds. So all of these other factors that were obviously contributing to him not sleeping those longer blocks. That's exactly right. And not all of them are preventable, but all of them are manageable. Mm, yes. Is that something that you do find a lot with parents? Maybe, you know, I like I know personally I didn't realise the signs of eczema. I didn't know that his skin was covered in eczema. I thought it was yeah, skin. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. I mean, there isn't a baby that I see that doesn't have something that can be improved upon. Um, um, mm. there are, it's, it's, as I said, it's all about empowering you. So you don't need to come to see a pediatrician to know what eczema is. Let me explain it to you. Newborn rash looks exactly the same as eczema. And you're told when mm. you, when you have a baby, newborn rash is normal. Don't worry. It looks like pimples. They get over it. It's not itchy. Um, it disappears. You don't need to put any lotions on it or anything. And that's absolutely correct. But what no one tells you is that it disappears. So if it persists, mm. if you've got a five-week-old or a six-week-old who's got this same-looking rash, that's no longer newborn acne. And if yeah. you touch it, it's dry. It's like sandpaper. Yes. So if you, yes. Oh, my if goodness. You, <laughs> it's sandpaper. If you touch the skin of a baby who's got a newborn rash, it feels moist and, and completely normal, despite the fact that it looks yes. angry. But when you touch the skin mm -hmm. of a baby with eczema, it's almost like tissue paper. It's, it's really dry, crackly, and they're incredibly itchy. Now, a baby can't scratch the way that you can scratch, but they will demonstrate their itch and discomfort by being unsettled. Mm, yes. Yeah, that was a big lesson learning for me because I totally thought it was newborn skin. So thank you so much for describing that because um, I know that will be so helpful um, for parents who are maybe going through that. I would love to touch a little bit on feeding because I think that, you know, there's always pros and cons to each and sometimes it's hard to figure out what is best. But can you talk a little bit to me about on-demand feeding versus a more scheduled feeding? Absolutely. It always starts with demand feeding. The moment a baby is born, I mean, the vast majority of the work I do is in hospital. So I'm looking at babies every day for the first four or five days of life. Um, and then they, they go home and then I follow up in the outpatient setting. But in those early stages, you never, ever leave a baby to cry. Um, cried out mm -hmm. methods. I never uh, subscribe to them in any form of, um, you know, uh, sleep training. It just, it doesn't get implemented under six months of age. So always, always respond to your baby's cries and demand feed in the first few weeks of life. That's amazing for establishing feeds. It's amazing for um, teaching the child that someone is always there. Someone's available to come to them um, and sort out their discomfort or their hunger or whatever just to give them that that warmth and connection so we never ever want to mm -hmm. deny a baby in the first few weeks of life that connection when it comes to feeding um there are two ways as you know there is breast milk and there is formula 
and the breast milk can be direct or it can be expressed and given by a bottle, which can be given by dad or another non-breastfeeding parent or carer. Um, this is stating the obvious. But there is so much pressure out there and so much noise when it comes to breast versus formula and how long you should feed mm. for and all of this. Um, I don't subscribe to any of that. In fact, in my opinion, if you put extra pressure on a woman who has just carried a baby for nine months, who has gone through the stress, physical and emotional stress of delivering that child and is now trying to feed the child while sleep deprived and at the same time trying to recover and potentially juggling work and older children and societal pressures, if you come and you put more pressure on that person, shame on you. So I have mm. no time for pressure on mums to exclusively breastfeed. If it works and if it's what you want and if you have the supply, then that is brilliant. There is no question, no question that breast milk is superior to formula. But if your baby is mix-fed breast milk and formula or if your baby is exclusively formula-fed, they are at no long-term disadvantage. There is no evidence that mm -hmm. they are... Um, any less impressive, any slower to develop, any IQ difference, there's nothing at all. And the most important thing is that these parents are enjoying the process, are happy and present and mm. conscious and not stressed and not feeling guilty and not flogging themselves more and more and more because of external pressure. Yeah. That's the end of my speech, I promise, but I'm just, I'm very, very, I love very that passionate though. about that. Topic. Yeah. No, I love that. And it's it's just so true. I remember with Georgia, I was like, you know, I had great supply. She was a great feeder, loved being on the boob, would fall asleep on the boob and sleep a whole night, like really was a bit of a dream boat now reflecting back. But I just actually didn't enjoy breastfeeding. I felt a huge weight on that, me being her only source of food and nutrients and so at three months, I introduced formula. So like two formula bottles a day, I think. But I was so scared to like say anything or to just share that because I was like, well, I shouldn't be doing this. My supply is good. You know, there's no reason other than me mentally. Whether now, second time around, I'm like, me mentally is the, one of the most important things. And so, you know, the moment that I started having those thoughts, I was like, okay, I'm introducing formula to my baby. Um, and so I love that you talk about it in that way, because I feel like we should all feel so empowered, no matter what our journey or how easy breastfeeding might be versus how hard it might be. It doesn't matter. Like it's really about what feels right for you and what allows you to be the best mum exactly that you can right. be. If you um, add a formula bottle because of low supply or because of, or for whatever reason, as, as you gave the example as well, mm. it doesn't undo any of the goodness of breastfeeding. And you still yes. give the um, immune support and the connection, all of these things that you're doing through breastfeeding, you're not negating them or undoing them by adding formula. In fact, there's a whole raft of positives that you're opening up. For example, getting yeah. the dad involved in feeds or mm -hmm. grandparents involved, freeing you up. And as you said, when yes. you have that pressure taken off you, if you are a breastfeeding mother, 
you are far more calm and you are far more present and you're enjoying it. And ultimately, what does your baby want? Your baby does Mm -hmm. not want this exhausted, angry, um, you know, just anxious mess of a a mother who's just really not enjoying this process. Your child wants you to be happy. Your child wants to connect mm-hmm. with you when you're fully present and in love and just enjoying the whole process. And if adding formula allows you to do that, enables you to do that, then that's wonderful. That's not something mm-hmm. that should ever be painted with a negative brush. Yeah, absolutely agree. Now, I want to talk about baby cues because I feel like these can sometimes be the hardest thing to figure out. Um, in your experience, which is obviously a lot with your babies, what are some of the main cues, I guess, for things like hunger, tiredness, and even wind? I probably found wind was one of the hardest ones for me to notice, but now I'm so aware of it. And I'm like, oh, wow, I feel good that I know when there's pain that's from wind. That's great. I mean, that's you being empowered. That, that's why the, the program works. So that's wonderful, wonderful to hear. Um, In terms of cues, it's hard because some of them overlap and some of them are difficult to interpret. And, you know, your interpretation of a a grunt is different to my interpretation of a grunt. And it's very, very hard to interpret because everybody's idea of each sign is different and every baby's different as well. So generally speaking, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I tell people look for signs that coincide with a time when you expect something to happen. So... If you fed at midday and you know, if, for example, you're breastfeeding and you know this baby has drained two breasts at midday and then at 1 p.m., one hour later, is crying, it's highly unlikely if you have a good supply and you feel emptied that that baby is going to be hungry. And so looking at those cues, hunger should not be you know at the top of your mind and so you're less likely to misinterpret those cues as oh my child wants more milk so for Mm -hmm. example a tongue thrust that happens when a baby's due to feed could be them looking for something to feed on but can also be a sign that they need to burp so it's not just the cue it's the cue and when the cue happens Um, specifically if we're talking about burping and the need to wind some of the most common cues that babies will show when they've got excess gas and they need to burp more tongue thrust grunting hiccups and lots of farting although farting obviously comes later Mm. yes that's such a good insight because yeah i definitely at the start was getting so confused with you can't be hungry. Why, why are you doing this when you're hungry? And ended up just needing a really right. good burp. A lot of, so, a lot of the yeah. work that I do is, is um, teaching people not to misinterpret signs and also not to have yes. feeding at the top of the list whenever your child does mm. anything. So that is what drives a lot of frequent feeding negative cycles um, and bad habits because um, sometimes every single sign is deemed to be a call of hunger, but it's not always the case so for example um, there is this reflex an innate reflex in a baby where if you touch their cheek they will naturally mouth in that direction it's called the rooting reflex and it is designed to um, 
result in feeding. So if a child is moving around and they come up across a nipple or a bottle, they will instinctively try to get it into their mouth. Now, if you're holding a baby who's just being fed and you touch their cheek, they cannot help but move towards that stimulus. And that's often misinterpreted. Oh, well, they must want to top up or they must want more, but it's not always the case. Yeah. That is so funny you say that because every time my husband puts, so, so for a few, like for the early stages, Rocco would be really settled in the carrier being upright. And so often still my husband gets home from work and he needs just that little last little 45 minute power nap of the, of the day. And so my husband will put him in the carrier and I will have just fed him and burped him. And then my husband will put him in the carrier and he does a like mouth turn to the nipple. And my husband's like, he's hungry. He's still, he wants more. And I'm like, he's not hungry. Trust me. Exactly right. So now I'm going to make him listen to this. <laughs> so he knows that I'm not lying. <laughs> I mean, another reflex is the sucking reflex. So, you know, you put anything in a baby's mouth, whether they're um, awake or asleep, and they will instinctively suck on it. You can't not do it as a baby. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, wow. sometimes if, uh, if people think the baby's hungry and, or if the baby's crying and then they get put to the breast or put onto a bottle and they stop crying, the feedback you get is, oh, well, they must have been hungry. But it's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Love that. Now I do want to shift gears a tiny bit because I know a lot of the audience um, are mums who are on their second baby as well. So they've got a toddler in tow. Um, and so we, a lot of us are at that stage of those toddlers dropping day naps, which is always very stressful when you have a new baby arriving or has just arrived. Um, and it really is a journey, I guess, going from one day nap to no day naps because that awake window is just so huge. So I've been on this journey, I reckon, for the last six months of Georgia trying to to drop the day naps. But I'd love to know kind of what some of your top tips are for making that process as smooth as possible. Um, Great question. And I wish there was a single straightforward answer, but it's so variable. And I think if I could give one piece of advice, it would be um, be flexible. So, um, mm. you know, if you're talking about a child who's attending daycare um, or even kinder and we're moving to trying to get drop that day sleep altogether, there will be days in a week where they need it and days when they don't. Mm-hmm. So if you are transitioning from having one day sleep to no day sleep, then I would have it as a possibility every single day and even if that child doesn't yeah. sleep give them some downtime give them some time where they can relax they don't have to sleep they're not being pressured into it but should they be exhausted should they want to sleep should they fall asleep at least they can as opposed to filling the schedule and then if they're really overtired and they would really benefit from a sleep but we can't because we're out and about then you're going to run into trouble yes yeah, that's the trouble I kept running into where George would fall asleep in the car at three or four o'clock and I was like, this is the worst time of day for you to fall asleep. It is, but, the, you know, power naps are handy and that's what I do recommend. If you've got a bub who's, you know, an older child who's transitioning to not having any day sleeps and they're really, really struggling and they, you can tell they're getting a bit um, unsettled and, and overtired in the late afternoon, give them access to a power nap. And sometimes the best way to do that is in the car because they will just fall asleep really quickly. 
And if you can, yes. you know, do a few laps of the suburbs and, and get, even if it's 20, 30 minutes sleep, it just sets you up for a good evening and then a good night's sleep yes. overnight because you don't want to be entering the night's sleep with a very overtired, irritable toddler. Yeah, I know. And that's the hardest because it affects so much. Like the eat, you know, like I know personally, then she won't eat that's right. dinner. She won't want a bath. It's that whole flow and effect of, you know, what the night ends up looking like rather than it be smooth sailing and, you know, you still have a happy bub that's eating eating dinner and, and having a playful bath. That's right. And bed. it also, um, it, it makes me think of another um, common thing that I see that I really want your your listeners to um, to take out of this is that, shit happens can I say that am I allowed to say that <laughs> absolutely happens, okay? babies get sick and appointments run late and traffic jams happen and rain happens and the you know teeth happen everything can happen at any time and you can work really hard to get a successful routine and then everything falls to pieces because of whatever um, you see the most common cause is a bug. So they get a virus, whether it's from daycare or, or just around town or from an older sibling, and then everything turns to crap. Now, the important thing to remember is that you can reset and you can get back to what they were doing previously within one or two days. Mm -hmm. So if your child um, has a cold and they need you, they need more frequent feeds, they need contact, they need your um, presence, your affection, give it to them. Routines go out the window when mm. you've got a sick child. But when that child has recovered yeah. and is better, they're going to love sleeping in your bed or they're going to love, you know, being able to <laughs> ring a bell and get anything from their, from their servant. But you've got to go right back to what you know works, what you know they're capable of as quickly as possible. Yes. And it takes a bit of courage to do it. But if you just think very straightforward, if they could do it before, they will be able to do it again. And you'll be very surprised how quickly they get back into that routine. So if you've even if you've got a two-month-old baby who's on a beautiful routine and you have a bad night for whatever reason, every single morning, 7 a.m., that's your control alt delete. That's your chance to reset and mm. say, I know yesterday was bad. 7 a.m., that's your control alt delete. That's where you restart and you get you get things back in order. So don't despair if you do have a bad day or a bad night because you can get back to it really quickly. Dr. Golly, I have loved chatting to you. I'm so grateful for all the knowledge that you have given me throughout my second journey of being a mum. You made the process so much easier. And I know that so many people will listen to this and you'll be able to make the process easier for them as well. So thank you for your time. Where can listeners find you, find your programs and all of that? Of course, I'll put it in the show notes, but give us a little spiel on where they can, where they can best find you. So looking for the program, it's drgolly.com online. That's D-R-G-O-L-L-Y and the same handle for Instagram. Um, I try to put out as much information through um, Instagram as possible. If I come across new research, I'll, I'll um, you know, talk about it, give uh, links to the research and also just my interpretation of those findings, anything I think is relevant. And, um, and of course, please don't hesitate to, to send questions in. And if there are particular topics that people want to know more about, I'm happy to, to put a post out and, and 
you know, if I can dispel some myths or, or empower more parents, it's my absolute pleasure. I love that. I'll um I will definitely have to get you back on the show as well because I feel like there's a, a few more little topics in there I want to dive into. Um, but I do have some babies that need my attention. So um <laughs> maybe we'll keep it for another episode. But thank you so much for your time. I'm very grateful um that you did make the time for me and my audience today. My absolute pleasure. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For any products mentioned in today's show, please check the show notes below and hit the direct links. If you'd like to suggest a future guest, please follow at The Healthy Hustlers on Instagram and send through a direct message. Until next week, don't forget to invest in you.